I really think that if a company was going to focus on one thing, mm -hmm. it would be data. Mm -hmm. That means mapping out your entire operations from end to end, right? Mm -hmm. From farm to table, from mm -hmm. whatever, dock to, to dish, mm -hmm. from idea to doorstep, mm -hmm. and really understanding all the steps along the way that one needs to do in order to serve the customer. Mm -hmm. It's worth mapping out the customer journey or journeys, mm -hmm. right? It's worth mapping out everything. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mercatus Podcast, Digital Grocer, live here from the floor at Grocery Shop 2019 in beautiful Las Vegas. I don't know what's going on with Las Vegas. It is <laughs> damn hot. I saw three people burst into flames on the sidewalk, so it's kind of crazy. This is your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies today. I'm flying solo. Mark Fairhurst is absent, which I'm, uh, I'm not surprised. It is Las Vegas. I'm sure he's caught up somewhere in a hotel room. In any case, you know, walking the, the trade show floor today, I am bumping into CPGs, retailers, and it's kind of interesting to see, and their eyes are kind of glazing over, and I'm not sure if it's because, you know, it's the day after being in Las Vegas, but when I start asking them questions, it seems there's a bit of information overload, and more so, I think they're trying to approach their businesses a little bit more strategically when it comes to commerce, but more so, they're asking questions, what should I focus on? How should I be strategic? Uh, where should I invest my dollars? Who should I partner with? And you know, funny enough, my understanding is these questions are asked more often than anything. And so we've decided to bring an expert into the podcast today. She's an amazing woman. Uh, tremendously accomplished from what I'm told. She's the CEO of Fit for Commerce, and her name is Bernadine Wu. And most people don't know this. She has an, an extensive finance background, technology and commerce, and she's experienced and rooted from the world of Wall Street. And she has a tremendous amount of success in helping people really crack that e-commerce nut. And it doesn't matter who it is, retailer, brand, and so on. And Bernadine, thank you so much for joining our little podcast. I'm excited to be here, especially it being Vegas and it being the place to be. Cool. Awesome. So I want to understand from you, you're, you're founder and CEO. Tell me, how, how did you come up with this great idea fit for commerce? So it's funny you ask because I, I get this asked a lot. So we're in our 11th year. I came from a lot of other industries and ran a company within the call it digital commerce space. And, you know, what I found 11 years ago was that there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of energy being put, obviously, into online shopping. It's clearly a trend that we're still in the midst of. Our consumers, you know, us as, as, as shoppers are just getting more and more digital and connected and shopping in different ways. But we just noticed that retail, and I'm using retailers sort of generally to include brands, retailers, wholesalers, anybody that wants to sell anything online, really didn't have the necessary vision, talent, capabilities in order to win in that space. And so we created a firm in order to help retailers with that journey. And so sometimes I joke, you know, we're the help, mm -hmm. essentially. And what we've pulled together is this team of folks who have been there, done that, you know, have this sort of like glory of victory and the agony of defeat, 
have run digital businesses, omni-channel businesses, retailers, and we basically help our clients who are brands and retailers figure out how to accelerate growth. And sometimes that's zero to you know 60 miles an hour. Sometimes it's brands and retailers that are already doing hundreds of millions or billions online, and they also need to get to the next level. But you know, we like to think that they're focused day to day on their you know sort of day job, mm-hmm. right, or sometimes evening and weekend jobs, and we're there to help uh, with extra help or extra expertise, and that's kind of that's kind of what we do. That's amazing. So, I can imagine being a fellow CEO, much like the rest of us. You have this massive collection of war stories <laughs> of things that just happen, whether you're on a new project or it's an old project. Can you can you share with us maybe one of those stories of how you helped one customer be super successful? Well, you know, I think every project has sort of a uniqueness to it, but then there also are common themes. And one of the things that we honed in on pretty quickly, you know, you raised as sort of an an entrepreneur and and a CEO as well, that this notion of ownership and investing every dollar wisely is is so important, right? It's probably what you and I go to bed thinking about and what we wake up thinking about and what we stress about, you know, in the shower and, and, you know, on the road, et cetera. And so it sounds simple, but this investment mindset that we take, we often see that it isn't really done either in a disciplined way or in a broad way, you know, at a company. So one of the best values I think we bring is sort of a disciplined approach to what we call digital diligence. Mm-hmm. And the notion is just sort of do your homework, right, before you make any kind of a decision and think about that decision like an investment. Thinking about your strategy, where to spend your money, what kind of talent to hire, what systems and technologies to leverage. Think like an owner. Think like an investor. And so, yeah, we've got some war stories about some that, that haven't happened in the, in the best of, of ways. I mean, one of my favorites is with a major Intimates Apparel brand. And um, we did this project, and, and it was like a big project. And then we kept honing in on specific areas, and it became sort of a, all right, what are some very specific things we can do with the website or the e-commerce business and stack rank the prioritization of them because when you've got spaghetti code or when you've got, you know, legacy systems, yeah, you may have 300 people in your e-com or IT group working on this, but you might only be able to do three things. And so it literally mattered what was number two versus number three, number four. Mm -hmm. And in the first 60 days after we concluded the project and made the recommendations, they changed three things and they made $60 million dollars. In that, That's amazing. In that three months. That's amazing. Congratulations. Unfortunately, I didn't do a rev share arrangement. Oh, man. <laughs> I hate when that happens. Right? Right? <laughs> so, you know, you've been around for 11 years. Are you seeing reoccurring themes across those 11 years when working with so many different customers? Is it more of the same? You know, I think that there's always a theme around accelerating growth mm-hmm. and having the right ingredients. So you and I are sitting here at this grocery shop conference mm-hmm. and uh, you know there's a lot of food themes so keying off of that the notion of having the right ingredients but having the right tools mm-hmm. and having the right chef or you know cooking staff and so i feel like in the industry there's like this cycle of brands and retailers have to keep reinventing themselves mm-hmm. and therefore they need the innovation and they need the partnership of great technology and service providers and talent and so on also So I look around this floor, for example, and I see a lot of new exhibitors. And we track 
all the technologies and innovations in, in the industry. And that's good. That's good for our industry. It's good for there to be some that kind of do something, flame out, and yeah. then reinvent themselves. It's great to have new entrants into the mix. And then it's the job of the brands and the retailers to make sure that they're staying up to date on innovation, on best practices, on things that are table stakes. And we always say that you know today's best practices become tomorrow's table stakes and today's innovation becomes tomorrow's best practices and that cycle just keeps going faster and faster and faster. That's interesting. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions off topic maybe. Do you feel that the innovation cycle, and we were talking about this in a previous episode, innovation cycle in this vertical is roughly two years? Oh, that's a tough one because obviously it's a big, it depends. I think that there's some innovation that is two to three years. Mm -hmm. I think any system that you buy, you shouldn't be doing your you know, TCO analysis on mm -hmm. anything more than three years. Mm -hmm. And that includes the big puzzle pieces, right? Some of your big systems like e-commerce platforms and order management systems and so on. I think that the industry needs to get shorter in terms of testing and trying innovation. We actually run something called the Innovation Office. It's a service that curates innovation for some of our clients. But the reason why I raise it is because companies have to figure out how to curate first, mm -hmm. test, onboard, fail 80% of the time, and then offboard that experiment and learn from it, right? Whether that's something that they learn from and they, whatever, choose a different right. solution or they build something in-house or they say, oh, we learned that, wasn't right for us. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we're really ready for that. So the more innovative companies that you hear about, they are experimenting over and over, and they're failing. And they're, we often recommend that people put 5% of their budget towards failure. Wow. And of course, it could vary, right? right but right. the notion of fail fast has to be in play. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's not just Vogue. It's, it's got to be a part of your MO. And if it's right. not part of your culture and your MO, right. then that's, that's got to change or that's got to start at the top. Yeah. And I think DNA is just that that whole failure is not part of our DNA as human beings, right? right? We just feel bad, blah, 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 those things. Right. Do you see the, is there like this mental block from certain retailers that have invested so heavily in, in the brick and mortar space to really do what you're suggesting on the e-commerce side, which is get in there, try it, experiment, fail, fail fast, and then learn? I definitely think it's a cultural thing. I think it's a heritage thing. Mm -hmm. But I think right now in the year 2019, Mm -hmm. Those retailers are already suffering. They're already behind. Mm -hmm. They won't be here for very long. Their, you know, their boards are firing their CEOs. themselves. Right. You know, <laughs> their CEOs. Um, so it's almost like we're on the downward curve of that. I think right. that you know the losers are already losing and and on their way out. Okay. So it, it, to me, it seems kind of obvious what a company needs to do. The question is just you know can they get out of their own way? Right. If I had a dollar for every time a digital executive said, if we could only just get out of our own way, right. you know, I'd be rich. You wouldn't need a rev share. I wouldn't need a rev, rev share. share. at this point, yes. right? So when you look at your crystal ball, because you're more than anyone. How did you know I have one? I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> uh, so when you look into your crystal ball, what, what gets you, like, what are you seeing out there in the future for the next 18 months? You know, because we, I would say in this space, it's been about last mile for for the last 12 to 14 months. It's now teetering. We're talking about robotics in the back office of a lot of these grocery retailers. What's that next big thing that you're seeing? So, listen, for both grocers as well as non-grocers, mm -hmm. right, supply chain and operations is always going to be one of the largest expenses. Mm -hmm. So, So, from a 
you know, transformation perspective, there's always going to be a focus on there. Mm -hmm. But I'll answer your question in sort of the soapbox that I've been on, sure. which is data. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know what? It's easy to say yes. data, 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 right? right? Data is right. a new black. But I really think that if a company was going to focus on one thing, mm -hmm. it would be data. Mm -hmm. That means mapping out your entire operations from end to end, right? Mm -hmm. From farm to table, from mm -hmm. whatever, dock to, to dish, mm -hmm. from idea to doorstep. Mm -hmm. And really understanding all the steps along the way that one needs to do in order to serve the customer. Mm -hmm. It's worth mapping out the customer journey or journeys, mm -hmm. right? It's worth mapping out everything. I'm a big fan of the... The war room, yes. right? Yep. Where all the stakeholders come in and they map out the entire whatever it is, process or operations and so on. And then finding those places where data is critical and where it's coming from and where it needs to go to and completely rethinking it. One of our number one recommendations is that every company should have some kind of data czar. Mm -hmm. Someone who's you know, chief data officer or data czar whose job it is to think at an enterprise level what's needed and, and how to effectively get it. And then all the technologies and tools and talent that's needed can, can come out of that. So I don't know. I don't know if data is sexy or not sexy. I mean, there's a lot of talk, obviously, about AI and machine learning and predictive analytics and so on. But at the heart of all of that is, you know, data. Right. Yeah, I, I appreciate your answer, and I 100% agree. I think that if I was to put on a pair of retailer shoes, I think that the notion of the technology becomes very confusing. That's one side of the equation. And I think the other side, I'm not sure if they know what questions to ask mm -hmm. of the data. Mm -hmm. Right. And what are we really trying to achieve? Am I trying to understand what to put on sale on a weekly basis? Or how to increase the lifetime value of our customers? I think they don't know yet what questions to ask. But sometimes that's because they, they're thinking like the technology would drive them to that answer. Correct. When really it's the other way around. Right. They should be thinking, what is the result that I want? You know, yes. what do I need to do with sales? Or what do I need to, how do I need to serve that customer? And back to that customer journey mapping, let's say, or knowing personas or knowing what you, you need to do. It should right. be driving it sort of you know, from the back. And again, I know as I say this, it kind of sounds like motherhood and apple pie, but we just, we don't see it done enough. I mean, I was in a session, I, you know, I do lots of hand polls and clearly people have data. Oh, absolutely. We have a ton of data. Yes. Like it used to be, didn't have data, right? Yeah. Now we have a ton of data. The question is, what do I do with it? How do I turn it into, you know, insights mm -hmm. into action? And one of my other favorites, I'm full of them, Please. is uh, data is like a rock star. If mismanaged, it will trash the place. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and hopefully it'll burn out before it fades away. Exactly. Right. right. So I'm going to give you a scenario. Okay. And I, I would love to hear how you would help this customer. Uh-oh. Okay. So Midwest retailer, 300 locations, a mix of soft lines and hard lines and some food, launches a new website. And there's an argument between the marketing team, the digital team, and so on, what to put on the homepage. They have no clue. They don't know if, should, if it's about optimizing revenue and sales. How would you walk into that situation and really guide this client to success? Well, you gave away the first thing, which is sometimes getting outside help mm -hmm. is helpful, whether that's like as a referee or to, to build alignment or, or to build you know, a process for getting to a decision. So, of course, I'm a fan of the, of the first step. But secondly, again, we find that when we start with the customer and what the customer needs first, then the answers actually become pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. 
And so there can be some differences in the approach and how we would get to the end. But I think that there is, again, data and there's clear sort of indicators of what works. So in this case, you know, on the homepage. And so they should already have analytics and data. We've done lab-based work, you know, where we've brought people in and eye tracking and card sorting and all sorts of uh, lab-based testing. And again, the data, if you get multiple tests or multiple inputs, it will point in the same direction. You know, water flows will eventually flow in the, in the direction that it should flow. I mean, that's sort of the approach we take. And then test, right? This is, digital is one of the most easily tested platforms. Why don't we test it? We should be testing the hell out of every little nook and cranny, color, shape, you know, message, et cetera. So it's almost like, why bother let these two heads of the departments duke it out when, you know, really like put the data in the arena and let let it tell you where to go. And it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of resistance amongst retailers to be iterative and to kind of pause and learn from that latest iteration. I mean, they're continuously seeking perfection. But think about where they're coming from, right? right? Like in other spaces, they they used to be catalogers, right? right? So they'd put a book out and you only had, you know, X number of months till the next book. Correct. You put a store out and you've spent all this time designing the store. You've done the best that you can. Mm -hmm. And to move stuff around in a store or, you know, certain stores to change certain layouts is, is hard. So that mentality is there. And that is, you're right, like that's the biggest chain to break. So that whether it's the marketer or the operations person or the technology person is to get into that cycle of change in a much faster way. And as right. you pointed out before, it, it sometimes is, it's not technical, sometimes it's cultural. Absolutely. And so tell me, what keeps you excited about this space? Because I can imagine 11 years, you're like, what's that next thing? I think it's the cool innovation that's, that's happening. I mean, some of the, the innovation around voice, around robotics, around, you know, again, plug for data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about some of the things that are really sexy, you know, the shopping carts and whether it's robots in store or robots in the warehouses and autonomous vehicles and, uh, you know, an IOT. That stuff is really exciting. But then I'm just as excited about people changing out their plumbing. You know, <laughs> and then they're and they're and they're electrical and the stuff that happens absolutely. behind the scenes because sometimes that's what's limiting them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to get the back office right. Right. That is so critical. <laughs> and we're seeing right now. I don't know if you're seeing this, but in in Europe right now, from talking to some European retailers, they're going through and, and cycling through all that monolithical type of technology they built, and now are migrating to some new innovative platforms. And I would suspect that'll be, you know, take three to four years, and then that cycle will eventually come back here to North America, which we're going to be cycling out kind of the next thing. Absolutely. So what's the future for Fit for Commerce? Well, you know, like I said, we're the help, and we're a good bellwether Mm -hmm. for the industry. If we're busy, then it means people are still investing in digital, in technology, Mm -hmm. in, in growth. So... And as long as we stay busy, then I think the industry is growing. I worry a bit about brick and mortar and, mm-hmm. and retail. Obviously, some the omni-channel innovators are, are going to do better. I think malls are actually going to make a comeback. Wow. I think the ones that are innovating and, mm-hmm. and creating, you know, entertainment and community and places to gather, mm-hmm. I think that there like there is still something there. But but just like we were talking about before, they got to reinvent themselves. So I'm. I'm bullish on the industry, but there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of losers that are just gonna 
have to go away. How much of an impact do you think a downturn in the economy may have on some of these kind of innovations? You know, it's kind of like 2008. I think that there will be an adjustment. I think people will tighten their wallets. You know, consumers will Mm -hmm. as well as companies. But I... And I worry about my stock portfolio and my retirement. Tell me about it. But um, and my house value mm-hmm. uh, and the cost of college. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think it's the cycle is sort of necessary, and it, it weeds out the weak and the ones who didn't adjust right. fast enough. And so that's not a bad thing for yeah, the consumer the in the yeah. long term. That's great. To say thank you so much for joining our show. It's been a pleasure having you on. How do people get a hold of you? Thanks so much for having me. They can visit the Fit for Commerce website or they can email us at transformation at fitforcommerce.com. Awesome. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening in. And please don't forget to download our next episode. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.